Alright, so we're live. Lexi's coming back in. So, welcome everybody. This is the Clinical Breakroom Podcast. This is episode number four. So if you guys have never heard of us before, we're both, uh, Lexi and I are both nurses. We've been nurses for what, almost four years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is our first guest on the podcast. Her name's Tanya Lindsley. Um, she's kind of has a pretty unique Hi. background of nursing in general, and we'll let her kind of introduce herself and talk about her her experience and how she kind of. We're going to mainly talk about entrepreneurship as a nurse and kind of dive into that and you know discuss that you don't have to just work at the bedside. You can do fun and unique stuff as a nurse and all the different types of things that we can talk about to not just do bedside work. So. <laughs> um. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be part of your journey as well. Um, I've been a nurse for 15 years. have my master's degree. um, Started out in med surge. Was there for a couple of years, then moved my way up in years in ICU. Um, In the last five years, I have been doing my own thing as an entrepreneur, as a nutrition coach, lifestyle coach for people who need to change the trajectory of their lives. And I've been doing that full time for the past two years, which that's went by really fast. (laughs) So yeah, so there's a lot of great things that I have experienced um, at the bedside, but also outside of the bedside as a nurse. Yeah, so um, I think it's really cool to see, like, any nurse who's uh, working, you know, not – because there's lots of different fields you can work as a nurse, right? And then what you did is, like, you're completely, like, like full-on entrepreneur. Like, you you aren't working – you know, there's other things you can do, like, such as working for a clinic or, you know, all kinds of different fields. You can do dialysis clinic. You can do wound care clinic, like Lexi. And then there's – yeah, home health. There's lots of different options with nursing, which makes it great. But you can also be, you know, doing your own thing as a nurse. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, you have to get like a advanced degree to have your own business as a nurse and all that. But um, that's not necessarily true. So what exactly, if you don't mind just telling them like what exactly you did as, because you did this even, because I remember Tammy and I used to work together in the ICU very shortly um, before she uh, went full on entrepreneur, but you were doing it even while you were working at the bedside still. So um, I think it's pretty interesting. Do you mind kind of uh, introducing like what you did and what you do now? And um, we can kind of get into those kind of topics too. Yeah. So I did work on what I say, like I developed a five-year plan <laughs> <laughs> of moving away from the bedside. I kind of married into this idea. So my husband and I, my husband's owned a gym for, I think since 2007. So when we got married, I kind of got married into his business and, and then got a little involved with doing some nutrition challenges at the gym. And that's kind of what introduced the idea for me and what was probably the biggest factor was that I really saw that people really needed to learn how to change versus just do these challenges. And that comes with a lot of like coaching processes. A lot of the things that we get to teach at the bedside 
But we realized that 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or even a two week span for a family in the ICU, that's not enough to like coach someone through actually changing a behavior that we've grown to have for like 40 years, right? Yeah. So I started doing some one-on-one on my own. And this was actually probably 2017. And I didn't take it serious until 2019, where I was just really deciding this is actually what I want to do. And I want to try and see if I can do that on my own. And so I did that part-time as well as working at the hospital full-time until I could build up a clientele. Yeah. Interesting. It, I didn't have a full clientele just from our gym. I ended up getting a lot of other people that came to me because I was a nurse and because of my background that wanted help with changing what their lifestyle needed to be to support like healthier lab markers, which would be like, you know, bringing blood pressure down, cholesterol, helping with, you know, better A1Cs, that kind of thing. So the fact that I actually had the background as a nurse and my experience did help tremendously with fulfilling what I actually wanted to be as a nutrition coach. Yeah. What Lexi and I talk about this too a lot is that, you know, there's, we talked about this in our last podcast, actually, the, that there's not a whole lot of decent primary care out there. There's a very big deficient of, you know, understanding how to prevent disease just in the general public. Have you seen like, when you go ahead and do your like teachings with people for like the first time, are they completely like from your experience, do you, a lot of them are like mind blown with all the different stuff that may, maybe they weren't paying attention to for so long? Cause it's starting to like, even for us, like, well, Lexi did home health too. So she'll probably be able to say more about this is that a lot of people don't really even take their blood pressure at all. Like, especially people who are on like beta blockers, like they don't even know like to take their blood pressure when they are like on blood pressure medicine. <laughs> like, have you seen a whole lot of like, uh, I guess uh, mind like when people come to you, are they like mind blown to the fact that they didn't know about half the stuff that you teach them, such as like even is simply like lab values or what they even mean? Yeah, um, <laughs> sometimes I'm surprised, and sometimes I'm not really surprised. <laughs> um, but yes. yeah, I mean, so I think it's more of just, I mean, one most of the time when someone does learn that they have something like high blood pressure or whatever, they're really only getting 30, 30 minutes at best now with their doctor of understanding like what that means, but not just what it means in a sense of just high blood pressure, but it could be, what does that mean if it stays out of control? What can happen as a complication for the high blood pressure and applying to that to like your quality of life, not just now, but thinking like leading the conversation of what do you want your life to look like in 10 years from now, if things don't change. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is, yeah, it's educating them. What does it mean? What does it mean for you specifically, how you want your life to look like? What are some behavioral changes that support that? And, um, guiding them to do some of the action plan that actually complements their particular lifestyle, not just not going off of like what I think my life should look like. Cause everyone's kind of different. Everyone has different core values. <clears throat> yeah. 
but they do come off a little like very confused like oh well my physician didn't say that or I wasn't really taught that and they could have been taught that but in reality someone needs to hear the same conversation over and over before it starts to even click and you got to keep having that conversation before they even learn what that actually means so one conversation is not enough for someone to actually absorb the fact that they have blood pressure and thing high blood pressure and things that have to change or any other condition right yeah yeah we've noticed like especially lexi like there's just so much there's like two different things i feel like it's either they don't care enough which most of the time people that come to you probably at least you know care at least somewhat probably um about their health and then there's the other side who just don't know like there's just no like either they didn't grow up in like a healthy family like I feel like that has a lot to do with it too is you know people talk about how there's like generational or hereditary obesity but how much of that is actually hereditary and how much is that actually mimicking what you grew up around like your lifestyle is you know what you grew up in like as a child really does make a huge difference of what you think is okay and what's not okay so like we talk about our five-year-old who like catches us if we do anything unhealthy She'll like, hey, that's not very, you guys don't usually drink that. That's unhealthy. Like, so like a child who like grows up in a, an environment that understands already, like, you know, what's good and what's not good for your body versus someone who didn't have that guidance, I think is a huge game changer, especially for people. And they don't really necessarily, from my opinion, I guess, is that people don't really understand that their entire life compounds into a big health event, like what we would see in like the ICU it's not usually something that's just like a one-time thing and, you know, just spontaneously happens. This is like a lifestyle that you can, you can have control over that a lot of people don't think they have control over their own health, um, which is pretty interesting. So I was curious to yeah, ask some you that. People, I feel like some people don't wake up until like something, an event happens. And then a lot of like that teaching, you know, on why they're in the hospital and what's going on and um, like, you know, the hospital has dietitians and things that go in and, and do teaching, but like when someone's in an acute state or they're in a hospital, like they're already stressed and, and they're not going to retain very much information. And, you know, and you get a packet to sit home with you, but like who reads that? <laughs> and there's like big words, like you don't understand it. And so like when a home health nurse goes out there, I can, I can vouch that like a lot of times when patients come home, they're on like 15 different meds and, um, like I've. I've tried many, many times to get a dietitian to go out to a home and it just doesn't happen. So it's like, okay, you have dietitians in the hospital and I know they, you know, look at patients and their diagnoses and make sure that they're getting the, the right food when they're, you know, inpatient. But like, you know, when you're home and you're in your own environment, I feel like it would be so beneficial if a dietitian could go to your home, like on a home health kind of thing. And like, you know, look at your kitchen. How do you function in your kitchen? What, you know, what would work best for you with, um, to improve your eating habits and do things like that. And I feel like that is just not there. Insurance does not cover that. And to me, that is like preventative and, and you going into, into the hospital and charging even more, you know, money towards your insurance company. And it's like, why is, why is that not a thing? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so both of y'all did talk, I mean, y'all mentioned some like key things. So one, William, you said like, these are compounding events. And I think that is one thing people need to realize. So just like this was not an isolated event and just didn't happen overnight, 
the things that you're changing are also compounding events. So they're going to be little things that you can change that add up really big towards the end of like a month or a 60 day thing or a 90 day thing. Um, and I think that sometimes when we're thinking of these things as, you know, oh, I have to change my sleep. I have to control my stress. I have to change my diet. I have to weigh myself every day. Like all these things be very, they're, they become very overwhelming mm -hmm. and where yeah. you have the guidance of having somebody help you break that down where something seems less overwhelming and more realistic and practical. And then Alexis, you did say like setting up your environment is huge. Like that is one of the main things that I talk with my clients about. It's like, how, how are you making it easy for yourself to be successful by setting up your kitchen with a flow that you might want to try to cook? Or are you always having the foods that aren't supportive right up in your face? Like you don't have to have them out of your household and say that they're completely, you know, off the market. We can't have that. But stop making it so tempting and make some of these other things look a little bit more appealing. Yeah. And that is, that is one thing that is very frustrating because insurances don't cover stuff like that, that can make it even more impactful. Um, so, I mean, you, but you can, I mean, right now you can find lots of, registered dietitians that are great and they are very geared towards coaching not just giving a meal plan yeah. and insurance cover their <clears throat> services you just have to find the right individual yeah yeah it's especially the dietitian world there's really not that many of them like a lot of them are actually sucked into the hospital environment there's really not much availability outside of the hospital environment which is kind of we always talk about that's kind of funny because if anything I mean, I don't know. It's important, obviously, get good nutrition while you're in the hospital. But, I mean, we have, like, the sick patients who need, like, real, you know, you need to pay a lot, of, like, real close attention to it. But, uh, the, but, like, it's just as or if not more important, like, outside of the hospital because there's so much misinformation out there, too. Like, there's just so much stuff that you can just gather and just think this is, like, good for you. And, like you said, like, it, if you do this for a certain amount of time, you compound it into lots of different, you know, years, then it did, it will end up causing some sort of medical, you know, issue with yourself. So it's, I definitely do think that dietitians do need to be, you know, like you said, it would be really nice if they did prioritize nutrition and include like dietary, like consulting along with your health, healthcare, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. So I know that, that the, there's a CHF clinic that kind of runs in the clinic I'm in and they have a dietitian come in and talk to the patients, um, in the outpatient clinic. That's nice. <laughs> for, yeah, yeah. When they see the doctor. So that's super cool. And they follow up with them. I, I know it's a short visit and you know, I'm not sure how beneficial it is. I mean, I don't, they, I'm sure they run, you know, I'm sure they look at some type of scale and how it's benefiting the patients, but they do have a dietitian that sees the <clears throat> CHF patients, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely nice when you have it, and I think it's just a little too rare, of course, like, as you said, so, but yeah, it's, like, <clears throat> when you have a dietitian, it, it, just even having them around is, like, you're putting more focus on the preventative type stuff that no one really talks about, 
and like the you know that you're not so like especially like diabetes for example like you can reverse diabetes depending on you know how much damage you let it do to your body over the years but if it's like a new diagnosis we had a guest on a long time ago that had like really bad like not just like metformin diabetes like you know it's brand new like this guy was on lantus and you know achs uh you know short acting insulins and he was like what like three some pound 300 some pounds maybe and he completely you know lost weight you know reverse reverse his diet paid a lot of close attention to his nutrition he's completely off all of his meds like he was on like i think like he said he was getting close to like like maybe 15 20 meds which is pretty crazy like these are the patients that we see in the hospital all the time like you know that have had chronic illness for years and years and then you're, you see a guy that, you know, was at that stage. I think he was only, he was a young diabetic, but still, like, the fact that a lot of people don't even know, like, once they get, I feel like a lot of people actually do think that. You don't have to have diabetes. When, yeah. when they diagnose you, I feel like they're like, oh, I have to live with this the rest of my life. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't have to. <clears throat> and it's but, just yeah. like, kind of like the same yeah. thing you said about, you know, keep, like, what do you want, like, you talk about foods that you bring into your house. And, you know, discouraging you to do the work, like cooking, like the good foods and stuff. I feel like it's the same thing with medications. They can throw a medication at you and it's super easy because, you know, you do it real quick and then you're done. And then, But there's the other alternative where you can actually put the work in, lose the weight, and then pay attention to your nutrition. But Which, of course, is harder than taking a medication that takes half a second to take. But, uh, I mean, it's it's a huge ordeal that, like, could be prevented, but... I don't know. What, do you, what is your opinion on, like, medication versus nutrition? Do you have, like, a, do you have a lot of clients, I guess I would ask, is with, like, lots of medications? And um, what is your take on that, I guess? So um, I, I do – I have clients that are on some medications. Um, I've had maybe one or two clients that are on medications for weight loss. Now, if they're on multiple medications and it – just going to interfere with some dietary. I don't take them because I'm not a registered dietitian and I don't want it to be taking, taken wrong as in terms of like what I'm guiding them through or coaching them through is, um, nutrition for medicaid medicine or something. That's not my scope, but, um, I, so it's interesting because a lot of people do ask that I am, um, a huge fan of behavioral change and nutrition. I think medication has its place. So here's my background and where I get a little torn in the middle of this. So my grandfather, my my grandfather on my father's side was diagnosed with colon cancer at 50. This was when I was like, I don't know, I think I was 10, 44 now. (laughs) So anyways, um, He did not take the route of chemo or radiation or anything. He was completely against that. Um, He wrote a book called Thank God I Have Cancer. So he would talk about the government and all the politics around that and big pharma. Hmm. That's actually really interesting. So, yeah, it was very interesting. And, And he kind of tied his views to biblical views to his route of you know, going against cancer with nutrition. And then here I am 
a nurse and we're heavily involved with medicine, right? So yeah. I I have my beliefs in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a place for both. When it, when it comes to weight loss and medication, I don't think that there's anything wrong with anyone wanting to take medicine if they have a significant amount of weight to lose, but they are also in conjunction changing their behaviors. Yeah. But if they're not, then I have a problem with the medication. Um, just because in order to maintain, if you ever want to get off of the medication, I mean, you're going to have to like figure that out and work it out. The other thing that concerns me, and this actually just came up like two weeks ago, I had a girl come to me. She's been on Ozempic for almost a year. She really wanted to get off of it. She had a history of um, disorders. She went through therapies for that. Hasn't had any relapse, but she hasn't had any relapse because she's been on the Ozempic. And so she, you know, thought that she didn't really have any disordered eating anymore. But as I'm talking to her, she's really scared to come off of the Ozempic because she's afraid she's going to gain the weight back. So there's kind of like, well, how is the medication helping the other side of things when people are suffering suffering from eating disorders like she's just not even hungry on the the ozempic and doesn't even have to worry about eating um so i'm just like i'm hesitant with my opinions on let's just lean on that but not think about the other things that need to go into play. Like, are they, are they being treated for like therapy in terms of like psychological therapy if they have eating disorders and they're going on a medication to help them? Um, are they seeing someone that can coach them through long-term behavioral change? And that's not just showing up at an office for 30 minutes to have a pulse check on how things are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. I think, I think there's, when you say, you know, there's a lot of weight to lose and someone, you know, wants to try a medication to help them and they see like a little change that is encouraging and, and motivating yeah. to them as well, you know, mentally where, um, I mean, I, I can definitely see why, you know, psychologically it can be helpful in motivation or, you know. Yeah, just, I feel like it's just a, a personalization type thing. Like, yeah. people, all people really need, I feel like, and primary care as well is just like they need a personalized care plan like like you, us as nurses we always talk about that like that's what we're brought up in education like we need to like personalize their care plan in the hospital but we don't have any personalization in like primary care because what you basically right. described is like everyone's put on a protocol and everyone's expected to have either you know success or failure with that protocol and if you fail then there's just no other alternative to to that protocol that's put into primary care. It's just like everyone. And you, you also mentioned that too, is like, there's just not a, they don't provide enough time in the, the general primary care clinic. You get like 15 minutes at most. And there's just no time to like actually talk about, you know, the, the behavior side of it all. Like what is the root cause of like, why are you doing this? You know, what's the reason for this? And you know, there's hundreds and thousands of different ways of, you know, I feel like you can, be successful with your health and I think it's just an individualized thing and there's just no individualized 
planning in primary care today. And I feel like that's why medications are so heavily used is because medications is basically a protocol, right? Like someone comes in with strep, well, you got your amoxicillin, you know, you, there's your amoxicillin, you know, it's, that's how medicines look at, which of course medicines, like you said, is appropriate in lots of different ways. I'm also kind of torn between it too, because as nurses, like, especially in the ICU, that's like hundred percent of what we do is like, you have to use medications. Um, but like on the other side of things, it's like, where we do have a relatively healthy person that's not like hospitalized. There's lots of different options you have to, you know, be successful, but it has to be individual, individualized, not just throw a medication at them. And, you know, you know, that's, that's what you do. And then that's it. So the conversation stops there. So that's what we feel like is missing because it's just such a, it's such a protocol type world out there. Like you get your labs, the doctor spends maybe like, or maybe they don't even do a lab review. I've seen that quite a few times. And that also has to do with the person's education and motivation too. So it's not always, obviously the doctors are working in a system too. And I, there's, I feel like the doctors aren't the bad guy um, at all. They're just working in a system that doesn't support yeah. them to do what they need to do. So, um, but yeah, right. just, I mean, the whole the healthcare infrastructure is definitely complicated, and yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not fr friendly to our basic needs, and so I think that that is um, one of the major problems. It's it's not ten, it's not tending to our basic needs. It's tending to the need right now, and we live in a world that is instant gratification. Yeah, and one hundred percent, and so and we get. I mean, if you think about like some of the surveys that get sent out from the hospital, it would drive me nuts because they, on the surveys and how we would get points or rewards for whatever our scores were, the questions were so basic. Did you have time to eat your meals? Did you go over, did your nurse go over all of your side effects? Did you get included with your plan of care? But when we're so busy, <laughs> It's like we don't really have the resources to do all of that. Yeah. Um, it's pretty defeating. Um, and so on the outside, the world has these expectations of like one, two, and three, and four are supposed to be happening, but it's not even happening, and they have no idea what's actually going on on the inside. Well, these are the obstacles that we have. This is the time frame that we have. And I don't think that those two things are aligning. Yeah, I agree. It's, do you think, do you think that the, um, do you think healthcare is primarily financial driven in the United States? Like what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I definitely for sure think it, that it is. Um, <laughs> It is more of a business model than I think that it is a patient oriented model now. Um, but to be, to be fair is, you know, if, if a facility, whether it's a hospital or a clinic or anything, if they can't pay their bills and keep the doors open, then they also can't help people. Right. I don't really know what the answer is to that, but I do think that 100% it's a, it's a business model. I think it needs to be to some degree, but I do think that there's times where the purpose of why we are there 
have fallen to the wayside. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's There's like a fine balance. There's such a fine line of like, you know what I mean? Like there's such a fine line of like, uh, of healthcare in general. Is that, like, yeah, we, we, you know, our country's capitalist. So, you know, everything, ha- everything that we have in this world is run off of like a business. Um, so at the same time with healthcare, it's such a like sensitive thing because, you know, your business is taking care of people. But where's the line where it starts like, where the finance is starting to prioritize over the the actual service that you're providing, and that's like with any business, but of course healthcare is just another, you know, an extra step above that because you're you're taking care of very sensitive thing. Your your product is caring for a human human being, and you know there's nothing more almost nothing more important than that really. <laughs> um, so I could definitely see. Like there's just such a fine line with healthcare, but like especially where like hospitals. You know, they do like we like in the United States. We do such a good job with like, uh, like advanced like critical care. Like our country's very very good at it. I just wish I would like Lexi and I both wish there was like just and you too. Like since you know you're what you do for a living is just like you're you're really changing people's lives about how they like you know change their lifestyle. And there's just not enough of that out there. And you know you're you're basically preventing people from having you know healthcare crises down the road um, because. You know, without someone like you or someone like, you know, us where, where we do talk about it quite a bit and, you know, you're putting it in people's minds, there's, there's nothing stopping your lifestyle from making you end up going to the hospital in later, in later years. So, but yeah, it's just, I wish I would, I wish the, the business side was a little less on the primary care side because it, it does, it really does nowadays feel like they're just, you know, here's your diagnosis, here's your medication, take it until I stop, tell, until you stop, take, you know, take it until, you know, something else comes along, and then we'll add another medication to prevent that from happening, too. It's like, here's yeah. a medication to treat your side effects from that medication, and it just, it very well seems like that's the, because it's so protocol now, like, there's no individualized thing, because, like, I feel like as soon as we start getting away from the individualized, uh, personalized care, the, the, further we get away from actually prioritizing health and the more closer we are for getting to getting like financially driven. So um, yeah. it's just pretty interesting. <laughs> when, when we are watching commercials, my husband and I, always, we always laugh because there'll be a commercial that comes on on a medication and then it goes through the side effects and they're like diarrhea, hot flashes, <laughs> stomach ache, gallstones, yeah. death. You're like, oh, I definitely <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but you know, I do think you know, as a whole for society, I think it's 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 everyone's job to try and not make it a business model. If you think about like the demands of most of the people coming through the door, I mean, their their expectations are like, hey, I googled this and I'm yeah. demanding a CT scan, and you're like, well. I don't think you need a CT scan, but the doctors are going to order a CT scan because we have to have patient satisfaction. You know, the, yeah. those cost of things, they, they add up to healthcare dollars. And so, yeah. I mean, it is a, the job of everyone to kind of help that part out where we're not only driven by a business model. But I mean, I don't, I have no idea what the answer is to that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's such a multifactorial like issue that I don't know if there is a good answer for it. Like there's, 
there's just so much, like you said, there's just so much involved with it. It's just, because, like, it all really does have to do with, you know, the patient for one. And, like, it starts with the patient no matter what, right? And then, you know, it's it's just such a, you know, you could go in, like, a thousand different directions with this issue <laughs> of, why, yeah. of, why, of why it is an issue. Um, because, like, our, even, like, our population now is so conditioned to think that, you know, medication is the first choice. Um, which in some cases it is, it's just the, you know, true, but, uh, and then, you know, lots of different cases where, you know, nutrition can literally save your life. A lot of people just, uh, a lot of people just don't know that, but then, then again, I don't know if I know about you, but, uh, we've definitely seen a trend out there that I think healthy lifestyle is becoming more popular. At least it's coming like, hopefully it's not like a fad, but it is definitely becoming <laughs> yeah. more popular. Um, like you see more and more people like joining the gym and, you know, going and actually trying to eat healthy. And I think people's knowledge has, has gone a little bit, um, towards the right direction. So, um, it's definitely, I don't know, we'll see how it, how it goes in the next like 10 years. But then again, there's the other side of it all with that, you know, big pharma that's also getting, gaining power with like creating more and more medications at a faster rate. And then, you know, the advertising and the, and then there's just, yeah. you know, it's just so, so complicated, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> so what are your thoughts? I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about this or not, but, uh, you, if you don't, then you, we can just not talk about it. But, um, what are your thoughts on vaccines? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right, I'm not anti-vaccine. I mean, I'm, uh, had all my chicken pox vaccines and all the other ones. Um, but the, or I don't have the COVID vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't either. <laughs> and um, So, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess my thought on the vaccine is more stem from when they mandated it. Yeah. I don't even, I think they pulled the mandate since then, but when it first came out, they did the mandate. Right. And um, I was, I was very much against that because I don't think that that is the way humans operate. I personally don't do well when people try to coerce me into doing something. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do anyways. Um, but just the whole like timing of all that, where we're all afraid of what COVID is. What are going to be the consequences of getting COVID? What are the yeah. consequences of getting the vaccine? The vaccine's permanent. Can't remove that from the body. Like those kind of things. And a lot, if you think about like the time of that period, like everything was back and forth. Like you'd say one thing and then you'd see someone go back and do a completely different thing. Or they would do this precaution and then pull that precaution. Yeah. They would, you know, they said, okay, let's do the vaccines and here's an incentive to get the vaccine, which I didn't understand <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, and then they would do like the booster requirements, but if you are healthy and not immunocompromised or any at high risk, you don't need the booster, but you're required to get the booster if you work here. And I understand like some of the the back end of that of saying like we're really trying to build up the community that kind of thing but you can't tell someone to do something that is a permanent choice 
when they're in a state of mind where they're afraid yeah or they're confused it doesn't come across right and even you know the mandate on the vaccines and then they're pulling one vaccine because something went wrong i think it was like the johnson and johnson they, yeah they held that <clears throat> pulled it and held that for a while so i was very hesitant for the mandate it didn't sit well with me when they did that um i think it really took a lot of people's sense of control out of the mix and that yeah. never goes well temporarily getting someone's buy-in by incentive or fear-based motivation that's temporary if an employee you know buys into getting a vaccine but then they resent you for it and then they end up regretting it for whatever reason mm. what happens to the employee then and their productivity their job satisfaction their engagement and their morale just didn't seem like the right answer for it to be a mandated vaccine yeah i i totally agree yeah it's and, you know they teach us in nursing school and they teach us in the hospital too like you include your patient in the plan of care. Yeah. If you can include them and get them engaged in the plan of care, the, the likelihood that they will comply and adhere to that is much higher. So I was like, wow, why are we any different? Like, we don't have a say in this mandate. We don't have time to even like digest and absorb what's going on our basic needs are even taken care of at that time when COVID was happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's just kind of complicated. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it did. I wasn't a direct answer of what my opinion is, because <clears throat> I think people should make their own opinion their own decision. If it fits their lifestyle and they feel comfortable and confident about getting the vaccine, that's perfectly fine. I think you should get it. But if you're hesitant about it, then I think you need to ask more questions. Yeah. Sit a little while with the answers that you're getting. Make sure you're asking those questions to someone that you have 100% confidence in and you trust versus Googling it, you know? Um, and I just don't think enough people had time to do that. Yeah. During that. For sure. I It's... I never thought in a million years that we would have something like that happen. And I, I am the exact same page as you. I was like, when that, when they first started saying that they were going to mandate it, it was like a huge slap in the face, honestly. And I think it did the exact opposite of what they wanted it to do. Um, because now they're making people more hesitant. Like, you know, vaccine hesitancy was already a thing before COVID. Yeah. And then they did, they just completely made it 10 times worse when that happened. And, you know, behind, you know, the freedom of speech, I think right behind that is freedom of medical choice. And if you're going to tell somebody that, you know, you don't have a choice, you're going to get a, a needle going to your arm and have a permanent change to your body, um, you know, a vaccine, then I just think that's totally against any human. That's like a major human right violation. Um, it's just... It's, I never thought that we would have something like that. And like you said, that it was yeah. like, you know, during a time where fear was high for a lot of people, like there was a lot of unknown with that. 
and you know just like how everything came you know, the shutdowns and then the shutdowns came out like eased up a little bit in a lot of the states and then they said you had to get the vaccine and then you know they didn't necessarily they didn't say you had to get it well they, they said that like a lot of the they didn't the government didn't say you had to get it but then you know they enforced it into the employers that require you to get it to continue working so they basically indirectly said that you're forced to get the vaccine so with me being like right. with me being like i was you know only a year and a half in at that point as a nurse and you know i'm just still kind of you know learning the ropes of everything because it takes years and years to you know feel completely comfortable at the bedside and oh, for sure. yeah and it's just like i just remember in the like the the, the way that they um, weaponized the politics into it was very not a good idea either because you got people mixing in to the conversations of like you know talking about other people's medical choice and you got like when I was at work I, I quit my I ended up quitting my job because the employer of course as you know um, forced it I ended up leaving because I'm I was 24 years old at the time and completely healthy, nothing wrong with me. And I didn't feel like the benefit was higher than the risk. And, you know, with all the controversial stuff going out with, you know, myocarditis and all the concerns, especially with young men, I was like, there's absolutely no way I feel comfortable doing that. Um, I think I think someone called you out. Like, yeah. a man, like, someone higher up than yeah, you called you out in front of, like, everyone. It was the manager, yeah. I was completely harassed even exiting the the uh the hospital um not like harassed harassed i'm not going to be a victim but i was everyone else around me knew about it because i I was standing right there and then they they mentioned oh yeah are you going to get it because if you're not then you know mentioning that you know that they're gonna exit everybody who doesn't get it like that's just that did not sit right with me and that's how like society was at that time they were so like they were so they divided people so well to think that they have a say in someone else's medical choice. And like you said, like we're educated as nurses to advocate for one and allow people to make their own choice. So like, yeah, it's just crazy to me that we even had a conversation about the fact that it's okay to mandate a medical choice to people, especially in a a country like ours, a first world country where it's like, you know, you do have rights and, you know, thank God for them. But it's just, Behind freedom of speech, because, of course, if you can't say anything, you can't defend yourself. The next one I would say is, like, freedom of medical choice. Like, you can't just be thrown into a hospital and they can give you whatever the heck they want, um, you know, and then you have no say what goes on with your body. Like, that's protecting your actual health. And, I mean, like, as nurses, what – like, I this isn't, like, a perfect analogy, so don't, like, come after me if everybody's in the chat. But um, the – like, what if us as nurses walked into a room and the patient's like, oh, no, I'm not f- comfortable taking that medication right now. What if we went ahead and snuck it into their, their uh, cup or we forced them and shoved the medication down their throat and they took it? Like, and then they that's, yeah. <laughs> like that's completely illegal. We'd go to jail. Yes. <laughs> we would go to prison. So, like, that's the thing where it just, like, it really did not sit right with me. Like, I was not anti-vax you know, either. And, you know, for the most part, I'm still not, but at the same time, I'm, I am anti-mandate 
Um, and I do respect, I don't care, like you said, if someone wants to take the vaccine and they think it's right for them, it is appropriate for some people, maybe for the older generation that, you know, is high risk for pulmonary disease. And, you know, we see it with the flu every year. So that isn't like a new ph- phenomenon um, that, you know, right. it, can, it can help. But for young people and mandating it for the whole population and then also all the politics that they weaponize with it was pretty crazy to me. And it was a really hectic time. <laughs> Cause like, yeah, you could even peacefully say, no, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable. You can't even peacefully say that. Cause then you got a group of people coming after you. Yeah. Or what that. about you were trying to get a religious exemption Yeah. and they're like, yeah. Oh no, we're not, you can't, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like lose my <laughs> livelihood because they're mandating a, you know, a medical choice, which is, yeah. And then it was just wild to me. So, I mean, I, I'm all about freedom of choice and like, just because we're nurses doesn't mean that we don't have the freedom of choice for ourselves too. Like, like you said, we were so deprived of like basic human needs as a nurse during that time. Like, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't abnormal to not have lunch, to not be able to pee the entire shift or like do anything like you have to do. <laughs> like you can't even like think about yourself during when you're at work sometimes <laughs> at the hospital and just, it was like a slap in the face. I felt like, you know, when they, when they did that, Especially, I understand the back end, like you said, is like, we're nurses, we have to also, we have the obligation to protect our patients. But at the same time, we also are human beings. And, you know, we're not like, we can't be treated like mules, going to a workplace and, you know, do your job and take this vaccine, or you're not going to be able to make money or provide for your family. Um, That just definitely wasn't the right thing. I I feel like, like I said, like, I respect if it was right for you, you can take the vaccine, that's fine. I don't think that, you know, you're dumb for it or anything like that. Um, but like, yeah, just, I feel like it made people lose respect for the, for healthcare and also for, for each other too. Like there was just absolutely no respect during that time. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> then on your comment towards, you know, we have that, the obligation to take care of our patients first. I think that is something that is easily makes us lose sight of things even as an experienced nurse but especially because I know that you talk more to our new nurses or people that are going into nursing school here's my saying and people can take it however they want you know one of our code of ethics is to do no harm but that doesn't mean take a lot of shit yeah you know if you can't take care of your own basic needs first you are immediately limiting the impact that you can give to your patients. And I think we forget about that when we're like, oh, well, I have this obligation to my patient to do these things, regardless of what it is. It could be, you know, taking lunch on time. It can be taking a vaccine. It could be anything of the extreme, but you don't, your obligation has to be first to yourself because then you can't take care of other people. So to do no harm does not mean you take a lot of shit with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Very true. It's such a, there's another fine line of like, you know, they say that the vaccine was preventing transmission of the virus, which we've, we've seen time and time again that they're actually, you know, there's, there's not, you know, the studies are saying that, you know, it doesn't necessarily prevent transmission, but it does prevent the severity of it when you do contract it. Um, so there was also another mis, mishap with that as well, like with the argument arguing between that. 
And like either way, like you said, like we're human beings too, and we should have the right of medical choice. And just because you know the code of ethics, like people do get that mixed up. And I think that was a really good point. The do no harm. Um, that's it was perfectly said. Like we we don't have to take a bunch of shit. Um, you don't have to risk your life to go do your job. It, it's I mean, I know that might sound dramatic to a lot of people, like, risking their life by taking a vaccine. But at the same time, like, I mean, what's stopping other things from happening after that where they can mandate? Mandating in general, I just feel like, is just completely wrong, especially with anything like medical choice. So it's, it's terrible. It was pretty pretty crazy. I didn't think we'd ever have to deal with that. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> But do you have more thoughts? It sounds it looks like you have more thoughts on it. <laughs> but I think during that time, you said you were like a, a nurse for a Yeah, like a year and a... Well, you were a nurse for a year and a half at that um, I think a lot of people were already experiencing burnout. And burnout can change the way that you perceive things. It can change the way, it can change your attitude towards a lot of stuff. I personally was already burnt out before COVID came. Yeah. So, I mean, um, that just made my burnout just a lot more um, when it came to like seeing some of those things that we saw during COVID that we've been seeing for a long time. COVID just kind of exacerbated that. But um, people's history, what they experience in life changes, like how you might would sit down and have someone like talk to them like, okay, like here's the vaccine rolling out. Here's, you know, where things are going. So if someone has a history of, um, I don't know, I think I just lost tra train of thought, <laughs> um, of already being burnt out, they're going to be less receptive to some of those things yeah, and less receptive to saying like, okay, like this job's worth even sticking around for. Like I planned on staying for more than I did, but I ended up leaving because I didn't want to get the vaccine, but I didn't plan that. That wasn't like my five-year plan wasn't up yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was gonna, I planned on sticking around for a little bit longer, but it didn't <laughs> end up working out that way. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I just don't think there was a lot of things that were, that was taken into consideration and how they were trying to get the nurses to buy into getting vaccinated. Yeah. And I think if they had taken a different approach, things would have been different in terms of, cause this wasn't, this was more of like a trust issue than it was of anything else. Yeah. It's a little complicated and complex than that. But if you really wanted to break it down to, the bare minimum thing, I think it was more of like, I don't know to trust the company that makes the vaccines. I don't know to trust, you know, the people who are pushing the vaccines. Are they just getting incentives or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah it raised so many alarms. Like they they pretty much raised every single alarm in my book, like incentivizing, you know, you have to you know, mandate. And then of course, like in weaponizing politics into it as well, like getting people mad at each other for whether they chose to get it or not to get it it was just like 
yeah, it raised every single alarm that you, you would put distrust into, <laughs> which, yeah, it's, <clears throat> and I, I guess we can kind of transition to that, like, with me being a new nurse and stuff at that time, relatively new, I mean, just a little over a year of experience, and um, obviously, like, before I was a nurse, I was in, as a CNA at a hospital, too, so I wasn't, like, completely brand new to healthcare, but it was, you don't, okay. like, you put so much like with, you know, you talk about you had a five-year exit plan already. With me, I was just getting started. I had no idea how long or what I was going to do. I was just trying to like, you know, absorb whatever I can and like learn. <clears throat> and then it was, from my personal experience, it was super discouraging. Like, you know, with, you know, being at the hospital at the bedside, I didn't have any plans of like leaving anytime soon. Like, you know, like you said, nursing shortage and all that good stuff. It was already, burnout was definitely real before COVID. But then after COVID, it definitely heightened things a lot more because when we saw the statistics over the biggest exit in nursing history between 2020 and 2021, there was over 100,000 nurses that left the bedside. So it definitely like encouraged people who were already thinking about it to leave. And it like with the whole mandate, that's what really like ignited my like, oh man, like it just put a bad taste in my mouth of like even, you know, it's like a slap in the face. It's like a... Like, that was the analogy of it, really. It's just like, man, like, how much worse could you have so made did, it? <laughs> did, you, did you experience burnout before, within that one and a half year time? Because um, I think that that's a time where nurses, most of the time, are still excited about yeah. what they're doing. And they're, you know, they're just, everything is about nursing and, you know, the things that they're they're learning and the impact that they're making it's still it's just it's still a very beautiful time yeah. for a nurse within year first couple of years actually I yeah. think it was five years for me yeah yeah I definitely I definitely felt super excited about what I was doing I felt like you know there's a thing about nursing where you feel like super like it's really cool to learn the things that you do like nursing is just such a cool profession you know no matter what you hear like you know, people who aren't nurses are, you know, aspiring to be a nurse, you know, they get a lot of discouraging comments, which kind of makes me sad because like nursing is like, don't get me wrong. Nursing is a great profession because there is, you do such cool things and you make a, you really do make a big impact just by being a nurse. Um, and you really do get the, get that, you get a real, like there's no human connection better than like taking care of somebody. And then they like take the time to say thank you to you. Like you spent 12 hours, your entire day there, you, you, you spent like so much hard work on them just to, you know, make sure that they're okay during that day and you're making them feel comfortable. There's no better feeling than that. Like being a good nurse, like actually being, and we talked about this before too, is that being a good nurse really just truly means that being a, a, a good human being, like if you're a good human being, that's number one. You have to actually care about that person that you're caring for because if you're going to, you know, treat it like it's just any other day job, they, the people sense that. Um, but I was definitely so, I was still very excited going to work. And of course that comes with anxiety as well. Like you're, you feel anxious cause you know, especially in the ICU and stuff. And I started in the ED, but the ICU is just completely different. Um, just a completely different workflow. So I, I basically felt like I started over. Um, and it was a different patient population that was very hyper-focused, but I was super excited. Like even doing like the, the silly stuff, like doing titrating drips, you felt cool. Like it was like just, you felt like 
not necessarily <laughs> proud of yourself, but like the fact that you could even handle like all this stuff going on around you, like definitely felt that. And that's what was disappointing is because I wanted to, I would had no plans of leaving anytime soon. I wanted to be known as that person as like super reliable and like I could be a good team team player on the floor. And like I was always, I've always been a person that's like about like if you make the nurses happy the patient care is going to be like a hundred times better. Like I've, oh, I've yeah. always, I've always thought like, you know, I wanted to be good friends with the other nurses on the floor, be somebody that they can like go and ask questions and help with like turning somebody as simple as that. Like I've always wanted to be that person that was very helpful. And I was very much still that. But then like when COVID happened, I wasn't discouraged because of COVID. I was discouraged because of the mandates and like the, the politics that are weaponized. And then you got people turning against each other. Like with me, like I already made a decision. I was not getting that vaccine and there's nobody telling me, you know, what they're going to put in my body. And I'm, I don't care if I live on the street, I live on the street. There's not going to be a vaccine going in my body. And then the people at work that then announce it to everybody and, you know, like try to trash your trash you and make you look bad. Like you're making a poor decision. You don't care about, you don't care about the other workers. You're going to leave them shorter and you don't care about your patients because you don't want to get the vaccine. It was super, like people use the term gaslighting. Like that was super, that was gaslighting. That was their time. Yeah, it was super discouraging because, I mean, I'm still very, um, like the nursing shortage issue. Like people don't understand that nurses by complaining about their job is going to in turn make your chance of surviving in the hospital much better. Because people think that nurses just like to complain. Well, you guys do understand that nurses, uh, you know, do all of the healthcare tasks in the hospital, right? So, like, if you don't have a nurse, there's nothing being delivered to you. Um, yeah. And it's the public. I feel like educating the public is going to make a huge difference because it shouldn't just be nurses going out and strike. The public should be joining them, in my opinion, of, like, I will, if I end up having, if God forbid, like my child has to go to the hospital, I want to make sure there's enough people there that do their job. I want to make sure that these nurses are super happy because if they're not, you know, like you're by statistics, your care is going to be more, not as good. You know, it's just going to be poorer and your chances of survival will decrease the the more unhappy these nurses are. Um, It's just, you know, that's directly correlated, but yeah, I was like, to get back on the topic, I was super excited still. And I still actually feel like I still have that spark of like, you talk about five years. I haven't been a nurse for five years and I'm hardly working at the bedside anymore. I do some house supervising at a smaller hospital, but I very do much love to still do bedside care because I still have that spark of like, this is exciting and it's exciting to get to do these kind of things. But yeah, that, that mandate definitely threw me in a loop for how I felt about nur- not nursing, but healthcare, I guess. So <clears throat> I don't think there's a lot of like, there's education out there, but I kind of like feel like some of the education is just kind of silly of what they say about preventing burnout to <laughs> the nurses. Like yeah. some of the stuff that they teach us is not like, I don't know. It's, it's not applicable most of the time, or it's not um, individualized. Um, I don't know. So what are your thoughts on the education that's out there now for nurses on preventing burnout? 
Um, I think it's, I don't know. I think they put the priority on like their, I don't know. It kind of seems to me that they kind of put it like, oh, it's the nurse's fault that they're burnout. Like they don't, they need to be able to handle more. Like you need to learn how to handle more. Um, that's why I feel like it comes from the wrong direction. I think the direction is wrong. Um, I think the direction should be, of course, number one, make the workplace environment a desirable thing to continue to go to. Um, just like everybody else, like if you go to a, your desk job and you get surrounded by three new people that are just like completely like terrible people or they're bullies, you're not going to want to stay there. Um, and that's just like a very simple example. But like that's essentially what they're doing is pushing people out by making the workplace environment undesirable to continue at. Um, like, there's definitely a lot. I've been at a few other hospitals, and the one I left, that wasn't nearly, like, I actually loved the place because they did do a decent job. I thought they did a decent job compared to what I was used to at the other hospitals because um, it can get really bad. Like, not nearly enough nurses on the floor, and they don't support the nurses on the floor. The management is just completely... I think management has to deal with a lot of it, like their their job good, roles. You have good leaders, very good leaders. And the define of their job role is important too. Like, what are the what are the managers expected to do? Um, do they actually come in if, yeah. when it's the bedside short? Do they actually come in and work on the bedside? Um, do they actually help with patient care at all um, when it is short? Um, but most importantly, is like, are they even being supported of getting the number of nurses and the right people? at the bedside too. So it's another like, once again, complex issue, but I definitely think the edge, the answer your question, the education piece that they're throwing at nurses is, is doing the adverse thing by they're coming in from a direction that nurses are like, like not able to handle it. So they should learn the coping skills to handle it instead of actually changing the issue. That's, that's actually causing the entire thing. So they should put more attention on the workplace because, like I said, if your nurses aren't happy and they don't want to stay, you're not going to have as good care. And, of course, that turns into, like, saving money for the hospital. Like, you're going to lose lots and lots of money if the patient care is not good. Um, so it is – they're putting the attention. And I think it's, like, the investment into bedside care in general is not good enough. I think they're, they're putting the focus on the nurses and, like, it's their fault. And, you know, or not necessarily their fault, but they just need to learn how to cope with it. They need to get a little bit better at handling the problems, you know, that they're expected to handle the problems. So they need to get better at it versus actually making it better for them. I wonder if some of this will change when or I mean, I'm hoping one day this actually happens. I don't know if it ever will, but, you know, because nurses are part of the package that comes with the cost of the bed. Yeah. Or the room, right? We don't get to charge for our services. So I'm wondering if some of that will ever change, if we ever get to be separated in terms of, like, we don't just come with the room. Sorry, you're going to pay us for our services. Yeah. Like a physician gets paid for their services. Yeah. Sort of, kind of like that. I mean, we're not definitely physicians, but you get what I mean by that. No, I, I, exactly, um, I know exactly it, what you mean, yeah. It's a smart way so to I do, do think that they, yeah, like the, oh, well, learn how to do more so that we can just keep bundling everything that you can take care of in with this room, of this 
charge that we do for the room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that um, burnout in nurses, both novice and experience, is a big issue. And I don't think that people know how to prevent burnout or even be aware of it happening. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, I mean, it's expected. Like, you just handle it. This is what you signed up for. Or we think burnout means we have a sour attitude or morale is bad. Yeah. Um, so, I was just curious. Yeah, that's the misconception. And I, I agree with you. I've actually, I was talking to people um, when I was working there at the bedside about, you know, how interesting would it be that nurses are kind of like, how physicians are looked at like more of like contracted out versus like actual employees um, where the nurses, cause I think the big issue with the hospital systems is that the nurses are seen as an expense. Like they're, oh, yeah. they're an expense. And then the, the physicians, of course they have a higher role in the healthcare in general. They're seen as money makers. They make the money for the, <clears throat> for the hospital, but the nurses are seen as expenses. So that's why, okay, it well, really naturally what do humans want to do keep their expenses down because this is a business we want to keep the expenses down we want to find the the minimum of like how much okay we're going to balance it with the patient care now okay that's why we have nursing ratios that aren't necessarily the supportive of great patient care except for maybe california that's the one state that actually has a nurses union that actually has mandated um ratios I think it is interesting. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to see nurses actually not seen as an expense and actually contract out and see how much more improved the healthcare is and for number one, and then also how much better the workplace is, number two. That would be pretty interesting. <laughs> but I don't know if that would ever happen. It's always blown my mind how nurses mm -hmm. are seen as an expense because the reality is the cost of um, – hospital acquired pneumonia, hospital acquired, you know, pressure ulcers, all of those things. I mean, we're at the bedside 24 seven. We are the most opportunity for preventing all of those costs that the hospital get all the time. I yeah. mean, I don't know what the statistics are now or how much hospitals pay or lose in terms of being reimbursed by Medicare or other health, um, insurance companies but we're the key people to prevent those things and if we can't prevent them then we should be seen as an investment rather than a cost and i just never really yeah. understood that yeah i but, agree i mean you can see like we're we are treated as a cost not an investment unfortunately yeah most times most times and there's people out there that don't but i would say most times yeah the the overarching you know industry of healthcare in general yeah it's definitely nurses are an expense they want to keep it as low as possible which is why there is these things such as ratios and they i mean the, the ratios aren't supportive of actual patient outcomes they're actually supportive of the financial piece of it all um because if it was for patient care, like statistically, we know like the more patients in general that you have, the more likely that patient's going to have poor patient outcomes in the hospital. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's sad to see that because that's where I like, there is that fine line. Once again, the financial piece versus the, 
the actual healthcare piece. And these hospital systems, if they would change the maybe the way that nurses are contracted through their jobs, maybe they're not employees, or maybe nurses do like actually have like some kind of a union out where they are contracted out through these hospitals. I wonder how much better the the care would actually be. So yeah. And like financially wise, I bet it would, honestly, I would probably argue that it would financially be more favorable for them too. Cause it, like you said, if you think of it like an investment, like, like that nurse, you know, based off their experience, do, is this somebody you would want in your hospital? You know, most of the time, you know, most nurses are great. There's obviously the bad, you know, just like human beings, um, there's good and bad human beings, Well, there's good and bad nurses too. Um, like the hospitals can like, you know, the better their workplace is, you're going to attract better nurses. That's just how it's going to be. And that's how it already is. But when it's contrary out like that, that's definitely a huge game changer, I feel like. Because, you know, I feel like it should be kind of in control of, like, the number two people is, one, the physician, the care, the primary provider that makes the medical decisions. And then there's the person who delivers the health care, which is the nurse. So you need both. <laughs> You can't just have someone just, you know, ordering and then there's no delivery. You can't just order your package off of Amazon and then, you know, if UPS is your deliverer and they suck at delivering healthcare, it doesn't matter what you ordered off Amazon because, or what you, Amazon decided to do because your package right. is going to be broken by the time it gets to your, your, your doorstep. Same thing with healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, people don't understand that too. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what one thing I always talk about since I'm, you know, I started my company like really primarily focusing on nursing students and like, you know, we do our individualized like nursing tutoring and all that and helping nursing students pass nursing school, but another thing we like really uh, focus on is like transitioning to the bedside because it's getting more and more difficult, I feel like, from what I hear on these stories, like we're a part of a bunch of Facebook groups and it's just kind of crazy the stuck kind of stuff we hear about you know, transitioning to the bedside is getting more and more discouraging. Like these nurses come out here and they're like already burnt out before they even get to the bedside. Like the overwhelming, because yeah. like you got, think about it, like there's just not very many people that, like the charge nurses nowadays are less than one year experience, which, you know, some people might be just really good. But overall, if that's a t- statistic, you know, like there's the, sh- the floor is short and you have a, a nurse that's already, you know, still trying to learn in their charge. That's not only scary, but also like super difficult to have longevity in the field. So that's, yeah, I I always try to tell my new nurses to, and I'm still new too, which I think is kind of unique, but, um, I always tell new nurses to like, do not like throw yourself, like, don't, don't like make your whole life nursing. Like nursing is a great profession, but I feel like people really get drowned by like, they're excited. So I think that's part of it, but also like, don't just take anything when they get out of the the school, like they'll just take a terrible, like a lot of hospital systems are putting terrible contracts in where, you know, they'll offer you a sign-on bonus, but then nine times out of 10, you get put in this terrible environment where you have to stay for two years to keep that sign-on bonus. Then if you leave early, then you have to pay them back the money. It's just like, (laughs) it's just the craziest thing. So like, and they always get the new grads for it because they know like, and they know exactly what they're doing. And it's sad. So I always try to kind of, not necessarily warn, but be patient with your first job and really try to find a place that's going to be supportive because I feel like that is like life or death with, if you want to 
continue being a nurse or not because if there's something if your first experience is very terrible i don't know it, i don't think it's gonna be a very good chance that they stay for a long period of time at the bedside so yeah, yeah. for sure i was curious i was gonna ask this will be like the last question before we get off because um, we'll get off here i know we gotta go my last question is like you how long have you been a nurse first of all 15 years 15 years so like I guess my question is, and maybe it's not different, but like, has it, was it different for you? Like how much different is healthcare when you started versus what it is now? Like, like in the nursing world at the, like where it was at the bedside for you before you left, like, was it, did you notice like a big difference or was it kind of like the same when you first started? So this will be interesting. Um, I, I feel like it was different in the sense of, getting busier, um, busier in times of like being in the ICU, the patients being sicker. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of the patients that are being sicker and coming in compared to the experience that was available to provide, that's probably the biggest change that I've seen over the course of 15 years is that. And I think that just kind of comes where, you know, what do they call it? The baby boomers leaving the hospital yeah. and then we're getting the new people come in that have least experience, um, cause more retired nurses, you know, have the bulk of the experience, but that, that was difficult. That's a difficult thing to kind of maneuver. Um, I only worked at two hospitals my entire career so my the one that I started out at in um, Amarillo I just moved here so I was only a nurse for say I think nine months in Amarillo and then I moved here to Dallas but um so I don't know a lot of other hospitals yeah. and I and I took a break after I got my master's degree and went into administration and then went back to bedside and went to the back to the same hospital. And I think just because I was, I'm assuming I still would say it's a pretty good guess that the challenges that you have at one hospital are abroad. Yeah. So you're going to see a lot of the same challenges at all of the hospitals. So to me, it's like, you have a really good crew. You like the people that you work with. You just want to embrace the stuff more with people that you're already familiar with. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I didn't really see a lot of, a lot of changes other than that. You could just definitely tell that we, our skill sets weren't keeping caught up with the demand of what was coming in. Yeah. And that's just growing society. Yeah, that's interesting. I was interesting. I was like kind of interested to see if what, what you would say about that. Cause um, you always hear like the nurses have been like nurses for like 40 years and they always talk about like how different it is now. So um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like, cause I, I definitely do think, um, I think there is the more they talk, the nurses talk about it and like we see in more and more like strikes going on. I think something is bound to happen finally about, you know, the shortages and all that good stuff. Cause we don't necessarily have a nursing shortage. We have a nursing bedside shortage. So like if we can figure out a way to make the environment desirable, then we'd be just fine. So, 
Um, now, I could say, I agree about this. Like, I wonder if there's anybody else that remembers this. The, maybe one of the biggest changes was, was when I first started as a nurse, we did report by recording ourselves on a cassette. Really? <laughs> what was the reason behind that? <laughs> For like later use or what? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we would go in the break room and we would re record ourselves. And then the other person would come in and listen to the recording oh. as we were still taking care of the patient. <laughs> wow. And then I didn't know that was a thing. Once they were done listening, we would sleep. <laughs> yeah. Man, they would. That was the worst. That's the worst time ever. <laughs> <laughs> I would Maybe. never go back. Yeah. So probably as much as much as we hated bedside nursing like reports for shift change, yeah. I I appreciated it because it's like, nope, this is way better than the cassette report. <laughs> yeah. Old school. Yeah, I didn't even think that. I didn't know that was a no, thing. No, I think I. Yeah, everybody probably knows how old I am now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, yeah, the hospital system would be throwing a fit if you did that nowadays. Because, you know, they, they're super you know, yeah. super on top of, like, doing the bedside reports now because the, the patient and everything being there. So that's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, that's pretty interesting. I've never even heard someone even talk about that before. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, thank you so much, Tanya, for joining us. Uh, thank you. It, it was great to have you on as our first guest. And. Got a lot of good topics. I feel like we'll help a lot of people. So we're going to clip it up and stuff and get it out there. 